They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you. All about you. Got some new intro music for yeah. Panovich and Boscovich. That I think that slaps a little bit harder than the uh, what we had <laughs> what we had going on before. And that shit somebody do slap. called it. Yeah, somebody called it Paco Bell's Cannon at home, and I have to agree with that. Yeah, no, it was someone. Someone called it. What was it? Uh, uh, someone else had another another term for it. it was, you know, it was Packard Bell Cannon. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Packard Bell Cannon. You could say like the Taco Bell Cannon, but that was already taken like ten oh. years ago. By Ratatat, which is actually that's actually a good song though. And now I'm starving. I am starving. Also, I kind of want to go listen to Ratatat. Even then, go ahead, call me whatever you want. Call me a hipster. I don't give a shit. I like that. I like that group. Th- their songs were fucking good. But uh, anyway, here we are. Um, Painovich and Boscovich, me and Borzoi were here. We we are now going to start the show with the famous. Now infamous, but maybe not infamous to anybody but me and Borzoi. <laughs> you were killing me, man. Every, every every day that the show would come out, I would check the notes. Like, did they talk about it? I can't tell. I have to lose. I have to script. No, we, no. We, we forgot every single time. We Every single time we forgot. <laughs> so uh, do you actually have the link? Yeah, I do. Can you post it so I can also get yeah, it? Yeah. I'll, I'll throw it to you in the, in the direct yeah, chat yeah, right here. In, our, in our little yeah. uh, chat that we got. So we're going to talk about, this is some fake black history. We have been a bit negligent on this network this month. It is now the sixth of the month in doing the fake black history bit. We should have been doing it more. Uh, it is, you know, it's February. And so we're going to do it now. Uh, so this is from the Washington Post. And this came out in uh, January twenty. 20- 20 seconds, still relatively recent, but we've been talking about talking about it for, it feels like a year, but it's really probably been a couple of weeks. But, um, well, now they hit, they, now they hit, uh, white people twice a year because Black History Month in Europe is in October. So they hit Europeans in October with it. And now, and then America. Why the hell does Europe have black? Well, I mean, I know the answer already, right? It's like I don't, you know, it's like I don't need that. It started. It started in the UK, and the countries that currently recognize it are the United Kingdom, Ireland, Germany. Germany was the second, which you know shows the colonization right there. Yeah, uh, yeah. and Netherlands, I believe. Like they do some kind of variation yeah. of it. Yeah, and and of course. Um, you know, we also had this thing where, uh, you know, speaking of the UK, uh, Colette had posted how, on top of all the legal attacks that they've been getting, they got a legal letter from something called the Equalities Ministry or something like that because they did a Christmas toy drive for whites. And so now, like, they got some legal letter about that. I'm not sure if anything's going to happen, but um, that's just like. 
I mean, what do you even say? You know, it's just like, all right, no, it's it's double standards as usual. I mean, yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing. It's and- it's like the the double standards are out of control, and then the, the sort of the, the question always is like, when at what point does that begin to matter? And I would say, well, it begins to matter when enough people actually care about it, because there's too much um, amongst whites acceptance of it, like. And yeah. and this acceptance has been and, – and I also think that there's fundamental – this is a, a, a larger conversation that we could have over a course – is that there's – even if there's not acceptance of it, paralysis on issues is is kind of like built into the system. Like we really legitimately live under the most totalitarian system ever derived. Yeah. Um, and that it is basically you are presented every single day with outrages and yet your better option – in the immediate sense is always just to ignore it and keep going. And, uh, and, and additionally, if you wanted to not do that, um, the avenues for actually doing something seem almost like you wouldn't even know where to begin because there's no, you have basically no access to anybody with power that could change anything. The way you get access to power is by basically doing whatever they want. And it's not like you can't get access to power. You can, but you have to just, be doing what they want and there's this but there's this illusion there's this masterful illusion created that activism grassroots stuff that these kinds of things push power systems but that entire interplay between the the pretense of pushing a power system in a direction and those that are pretending to be pushing in that direction is part of the totalitarian system. So like NGOs that are active in some social justice arena are really just putting forth the illusion that, hey, there's these disenfranchised people we're working on their behalf and, and it's working. Or it's not working, it doesn't matter. But but it, you know but all that shit is just part of the power system itself. Anyway, this is what's, a larger conversation. Well, what's fast, just what I'll kind of wrap a bow on that with is that what this system does is almost like from an objective standpoint, fascinating because the way it it attacks the soul of a people. Oh, it's their fascinating. Hist- There's no question. Yeah, it's re- rewrites yeah. their history. Te- they tells them to accept a uh, different reality than the one that's before their eyes. The way that it expresses both soft and hard power. All of these things were, have been described in myriad ways in dystopian literature, but in those dystopian novels, it's always in a centralized uh, location of power that's doing that. It and turns out no, it's it's the diffusion of power that actually achieves that. Well, this even goes to something that Alex and I were discussing uh, a little bit yesterday in talking about. And, and, wow, we're already getting off track from this this Black History article, but we're going to do this anyway. You're talking about the Justin Moan situation, how Justin Moan, his, his like, even his extreme action of beheading his father fit into the power system in right where it should have fit and served only to sort of reify the cur- current narratives and reify the system as it is, and that even those who critiqued, who sort of started with kind of like a postmodernist critique of these kinds of systems, themselves would not criticize the current system based on the actual parameters that it runs because they themselves would have been supporters of this. Like they would not be yeah. critics of the idea of Jewish power or the idea that blacks are not being oppressed and in fact uses a tool to oppress whites. They would not a critique on that level they wouldn't engage in because they would support that like the jews and, 
that came up with the postmodern deconstructionist yeah. critique would not even use that tool to attack this system because they would be effect they would support what it is now doing. I've read a lot of the postmodernists, and yeah, a lot of them, probably at least half, if not most of them, are Jewish. But when they talk on that, when they even get on the subject of race, it tends to go hand in hand with an anti-colonialist, colonialist. Yeah, they, they, they uh, can't. Perspective. They they would they would have to update like massive amounts of firmware in order to even engage in the kind of critique that that we engage in. Like we're the only ones that will engage in this type of critique of this system, and um, and it's the I would say it's the only honest one. It's the only honest one because these are things that are apparent. They're before our eyes every day, and we make accurate predictions about what will happen and what this system will, in fact, do constantly. Like, we the are constantly you- capable of making totally accurate predictions, yes. Yeah, the closest you'll get to something like this, because this was touched on in Stuart Jeffrey's book, Everything, All the Time, Everywhere. Mm-hmm. He's got a chapter on Salman Rushdie, and there's criticisms of Salman Rushdie in that, in that he's supposed to represent this post-colonial literature, but all he really is is just uh, representing this kind of, like this aspect of, of non-whites that are coming into the, uh, into the Western world and writing from that perspective there. They have, they're not actually in touch. Like they'll, they'll write, like, you know, Salman Rushdie writes books about India while not living in India, not speaking those languages there. Mm. He writes books in English for English speaking English reading audiences. I know India. India's got English as, a, as an official language, but the point stands that yeah. you know if you want if you want an actual anti-colonialist literature, it needs to be written in a language that's nationalist. It has to be it has to be from a nationalist perspective, even if it's like a brown nationalist perspective. That's like that's the falseness. That's the postmodern critique of these kind of writers. Right. Like Salman what, what Salman Rushdie is is doing is he's writing about what it's like to be an elite brown person in the system. Yes, where he is getting rewarded for saying certain things. Where in fact, all of the anti-white stuff that he says, or or, or anti-colonialist, or whatever, can be actually well, the anti-colonialist stuff that he says could be interpreted as anti-whiteness because it is in his interest in order to climb the elite ladder or maintain his position on it for him to attack like its previous occupants, and that's almost anything you're going to get from a person of color is going to be that. And when it comes to something like, say, the Palestinian struggle against Zionists, you almost never get an authentic Palestinian point of view on that. Now, there's plenty of books written about this. There is a lot of books written about this. There's even books written about this purportedly from a Palestinian perspective, more, far more from an Israeli perspective, if you actually look. Um, the, the idea that you get a um, – that you're getting – an anti-Zionist or an anti-Israel perspective, what you are getting is, at at the most, you are getting the sort of extreme left within the Jewish community of their anti-Israel or anti-Zionist perspective or their critique of yeah. Israel. Uh, but an actual, what does an actual Palestinian think? You almost never get that. And even in even in some of the most hardcore like left-wing stuff, like there's this movie called like Arna's Children, which is about a Jewish woman who was an Israeli in the Israeli army and killed Arabs. And then she like started feeling bad. So she set up some like home for Arab children. And she actually never stopped caring for these Arab kids, even after they grew up and became militants fighting Israel. And she still like cared for them. And so this is supposed to be an incredibly radical perspective. And it's like, okay, sure. But it's still a Jewish perspective. Um, You're just not getting. Yeah. 
I would just be I, I would personally be wary of any Palestinian activist that can't speak Arabic. It just comes to mind, like when I think about, for example, the Irish nationalists and their struggle against mm-hmm. the the British Empire. Even though many of them couldn't originally couldn't speak Irish, that was a huge thing of the Irish nationalist program. Is that anyone who was interested in Irish independence also simultaneously took up the study of learning the Irish language? They saw that as oh, as part of their fight, their anti colonial fight. Well, against I would the be wary of anyone that's Jewish because, frankly, I would I would bet yeah. you this woman Arna spoke Arabic. Like a lot of the Jews in Israel have learned how to speak Arabic. I just would be wary about yeah. them because they're fucking Jews. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean yeah. like um, Palestinian yeah. activists like in the, that that are over here. Oh yeah, over here, yeah. A lot of them don't speak Arabic, or they don't even understand. A lot of them are just like it's a bandwagon thing. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, it's just like whatever. But um, like I remember there was there was this video of this young Arab girl, uh, brown girl, maybe Arab, on TikTok, who was who was angry because there was like Russian flags at some Palestine march. Like some people had also like were flying like a Russian flag at a pro-Palestine march, <laughs> and she was like, "What does this have to do with it?" This is about Palestine. And I was like, you don't even under- I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't think you even understand any of this. But anyway, um, speaking of all this, or not speaking of that, that was a bit of, that's always something. <laughs> Those, these are the kinds of conversations I want to have more often. But we did promise, and we can keep talking about it as we discuss this article and all the other things we want to talk about today. But again, my, my, my point here is these, this kind of a critique that we have of this system I would say it's pretty unique, even amongst the, the, the dissident right or the pro-white or the anti-Jewish set. I don't think you really get anyone else who's breaking it down and really digging down into it and getting down into the cracks and the crevices of this and deconstructing it quite the way we do. I don't think you really get that anywhere else, which is also my pitch for why you should get a paywall subscription because this is the free sou- first hour. This is the free hour. We are going to take a break after about an hour of discussion, and then we are going to go to the paid hour after that. So I won't bore people with that anymore. But here we have opinion, how tens of thousands of black U.S. doctors simply vanished. Is this some 401 stuff, like, or, like, or what was it called? Missing, what, what do they call it? I don't remember, like, like missing 401 or something, like people that just been disappearing <laughs> out in the Yellowstone Park. These are ten thousands of black doctors are out in Yellowstone yeah. Park and they just mysteriously <laughs> disappear. T- taken or whatever, is that what it's called? Yeah. Taken? Yeah. Taken, yeah. Or, or it's like uh, Left Behind. <laughs> that would be funny, like the Left Behind series is just a series, it's just a series about like black kids who are like 20 and still in high school. Left behind. Like, <laughs> instead of about like the apocalypse, <laughs> this is about like niggers who never graduated high school. Yeah, it was left behind, held back. Instead of left behind, it's called held back. <laughs> and then they just never graduate. They just end up like you know dying in a shootout or something like that. I don't know. Oh, wonderful. Okay, great. That was fantastic. What'd you just do? My fucking monitor <laughs> just crapped out. Like my other monitor just totally. So yeah, look at this. I'm just yeah. What a mess. <laughs> like legitimately, did you just get? Did somebody just get like a bunch of look at? The, well, thankfully the folder I had open was just the fo- folder of like the files for this show. But yeah, for whatever reason, yeah. my secondary monitor just crapped out, and then like all the every all the display that was on there has now jumped over to this screen. So that was fun. Oh, now everything seems to be crapping out. Oh, no, now it came back. Okay, so now it came back. I'll try not to jostle the wires. I thought, like, just the whole system was going to shut down. We're going to start the show over. Anyway, that was fun. 
professional production that we have here. So, so let's turn this so, on. Yeah. So this article is by this uh, Uche Blackstock. Who oh, Uche she, Blackstock. She's a, she's a physician. She, she wrote and wrote a book. Yeah, she's a know, black physician. I know. I know, I know wrote a I book know. called Legacy: A Black Physician Reckons with Racism in Medicine. Well, what's so funny about this? Before we go forward, is like I I, I saw here is a picture of um it says Dale Blackstock who is i guess the mother of Uche Blackstock at her graduation from Harvard Medical School in 1976 Gas a nigga. We well, yeah, as a nigga but like it also shows you like bro DEI is older than you think now or maybe it's not old I don't know how how old you think it is but DEI is old and do you really think that like Dale Blackstock is not a D- DEI beneficiary or an affirmative action or whatever the whatever the whatever I her name's Dale? I'm sure it's like pronounced like Dale or something. But Dale, I don't know. It just says Dale D A L E. There's no there's no diacritical <laughs> marks or anything. There's no like <laughs> accent. There's no, there's no high commas. No, no, no high, high commas for high yellows. Uh, no, there's none of that. Anyway, so, but let's, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's just go through this because this is a fun one. And there's a great punchline, which you probably already guessed, which is that it's fake. But <laughs> it's always funny when you, with these things, it's like, it's not that it's not, we know that it is fake, but it's always a fun journey to discover how it's fake. You know? You can almost skip the first few paragraphs because it's just her talking about her home life. But, but I want to like read thing. them because okay. I want to bore the audience to tears. Also, I, okay. I also because I absolutely hate this kind of journalism and writing and talking about stuff generally, where it's sort of like the liberal public, like that you're taking the white libtard on like a safari of sorts. Yeah, like this we, is the we five paragraphs before the recipe. Yeah, we we did the bit of like the um, of that with that article we did from the New York Times on Israel and Palestine, where like they end up like repairing the Ferris wheel at the end or whatever. And I was like, this is just another one of these things where they take the libtard on safari and invite him to have no opinions. Um, But anyway, so when I was a little girl, my twin sister, Oni, and I used to visit our mother at work. Her name was Dr. Dale Gloria Blackstock, and in the 1980s and 90s, she was an attending physician at Kings County Hospital in Brooklyn, not far from our home in Crown Heights. Our mother worked long hours. Sometimes we'd head to the hospital after school to see her and do our homework. Walking the hallways, our shoes squeaking on the linoleum floors. Oh wow, really building that building that sense of, of atmosphere and and place. It really brings me That's into like, the story. It's really drawing me into the narrative here. Just like I feel like I'm, like I'm there. I, yeah, it's like I'm there. Got, like I'm a little I black the girl. Theater of the mind going on right now. Right, like I'm a little black girl wandering around the halls halls of a hospital in 1976. I I, I can feel it. Oh, or the 80s and 90s rather. Sorry, not. No. <clears throat> yeah, well, you know, she's old enough to have participated in the Crown Heights riots. Now that I think about it, did she did she beat up like Yankel Rosenbaum? I don't know. It's like my mother <laughs> walking the floors, her shoes squeaking on linoleum floors, beating on Yankel Rosenbaum. <laughs> uh, that's the that's actually the name. That's not a made up. That's the name of the Jew that was beaten to death by blacks in Crown Heights after the after the riots there. But yeah, anyway, we'd make our way to the large cafeteria where we'd pull textbooks from our backpacks and settle down to work alongside the physicians, nurses technicians and aides taking a break staff behind the counter knew us well they would smile warmly and ask visiting your mother today i just don't buy a lot of this not that i don't buy it but like it's it it just makes me angry for some reason it annoys me because it's like 
it annoys me because of what it's meant to, to to pretend. Anyway, after our homework was done, we'd sneak into our mother's clinic to ask for a small change to spend on our favorite red jello. She'd hand it to us and, if we were quiet, let us stay and observe for a minute or two as she examined a patient. Can you imagine, like, being there at the hospital and there's these two little nigglets, like, slurping down red jello in the room? You'd be like, hey, listen, you know, I got cancer here. You know, I'm trying to... What's going on with this? You know, can we not make the prostate exam weird here? Yeah. <laughs> Our mother was warm but serious with those in her care. Occasionally, she would smile, but more often than not, she was extremely focused on what they were saying and was going on in their life. Yeah, bullshit. Our mother always seemed to know as much about her patients, children, and families as she did about their medical problems. When you came to visit with Doctor Blackstock, you weren't only having your blood pressure or cholesterol checked. You were meeting with someone who would assess your whole being. Well, here's the thing. What if I just wanted my blood pressure and cholesterol? <laughs> like, like I, I hate this idea, right? Like, you're no, like, fuck you. Like, no, you, I'm sorry. Doctors aren't special. Doctors provide a service. It's like selling holistic, you know, health, holistic well-being. Yeah, but but it's like, but it's it's like selling like the experience. It's like the experience of this nigger woman like taking, like squeezing, a, like squeezing a little ball and puffing up the thing on your arm. It's like she's assessing your whole being. No, shut up. It's also like I'm not. I don't want you to assess my whole being. I want you to assess my blood pressure. Like that's why I'm here. Like it's a service you're providing. Like stop with this assessing the whole. Like this is just annoying. It's just. It just irritates me. It's not true, first of all. It's not true. She probably was not actually all... Like, again, I feel like they they protest too much. No, like, she's a black doctor. She's probably not paying attention. She's probably fucking up all the time. Her probably letting her kids run rampant around the the hospital and just actually probably generally doing a bad job. So I don't buy any of this. This is all meant to make blacks seem... This is all contributing to the idea that Blacks are so like soulful and deep yeah. and caring. You know what I mean? Like this this image that they always put. Oh, like you, if if you had like a white doctor, he would be callous and not care, and he wouldn't have a good bedside manner, and he would just be all about business. But no, this this uh, this this black doctor, she cares about you and your family, well, you, and she assesses the, the image, your whole being. Yeah, the image you get is that she she's with you, and your your results actually look pretty fine. But she's she goes. What's really bothering you, honey? And what's and trying to stare into your soul and get your like, fix? What's wrong with it? You? <laughs> yeah, it's this. Whole, it's literally the conceit of blacks is like deeper and more soulful than white people, and it's just it's which is a lie. It's a total lie. White people actually are the most soulful people because white people have souls, and white people are constantly their souls are like constantly in anguish, like like trying to reconcile all the contradictions that they see in front of themselves. And worrying about whether or not they're actually being a good person or something. I don't think blacks struggle with that at all. Anyway. I mean, we have we have a term for our own spiritual struggles, dark night of the soul. That's something you only ever hear in a European context. Yeah, yeah. Or just, or just like having anxiety at all. It's just, you know, that's just like, like white, black people don't have anxiety. Black people don't struggle with them, their inner self. They don't even have, dude, they don't even have, like, what is that thing where they can't picture an apple? What's it? What is it? Was it? Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, like mental picture. I, I don't yeah, know. I don't know. There's a technical term for it, which I don't know. But supposedly, most blacks, if you tell them, like, imagine an apple, they like won't be able to do it. I don't know how people know that, but it's just like, like right now, everyone listening, it's like you picture in your head what an apple looks like. Yeah, you don't know where the picture is or, or how you do no, it, but you, rotate, you know not what rotate it is. 90, 
now rotated 90 degrees. Right. You can do that too, right? And, and you, again, you couldn't tell me where you're doing that. I don't know. I'm seeing it, but I don't know where I'm seeing it. It's a hard thing to explain. It's the mind. But like, yeah, but blacks just don't have that. They also don't do we, the whole meme of hypotheticals. But what if she didn't give you jello, but, but she did? She did give us jello. <laughs> no, but I'm saying, but what if she didn't? But, but she gave us jello. Anyway, um, I, oh boy, here we go. Oh, dude. This is how I know this is a lie. She's lying, and I'll tell you why. Because she, because she's telling, she's about to tell us she's lying. I believe our mother practiced what is now known as structurally competent and culturally responsive care, in which the entire complex nature of a patient's background and the social context in which they live, work, love, and pray is considered during evaluation, and people loved her for it. She wasn't just taking care of patients. She was tending to her neighbors. No, I'm just going to say no to all of that. No. No, fuck you. Medicine is a service. You go in because you have some kind of problem, and they check up on you until they figure out what it is, and they fix it or they don't or whatever. But uh, I don't buy this, like, caring for my mind, body, and soul, uh, how I live, work, love, and pray. It's none of your business how I do those things. Uh, un- unless it's actually like relevant to it's like, well, how are you loving? Well, maybe I'm having a little bit too much loving with too many uh, members of the same sex, and that's why I have AIDS. Well, and what she's <laughs> describing here is essentially the the country physician, like you know, the one physician for the entire county in a rural area, which was already yeah. by this time period an extremely antiquated yeah. concept. Yeah. But also, what what she's also describing is. Um, a bullshit idea that they've come up with in order to explain that blacks are just less healthy, which is that, uh, oh, blacks or, or explain the consistency of bad, of worse outcomes for blacks in the health system. And it's claimed because they're not receiving this, as they say, culturally responsive care. But for some reason, it never goes in the other direction where like white people uh, also need some kind of culturally responsive care or at the very least just need to be like treated by people similar to them because the answer they always give to why blacks consistently have worse outcomes doesn't have anything to do with either generally speaking their their poor health generally because of genetic factors or their uh, non-compliance with doctor's orders in other words when the doctor says like hey you just got open heart surgery you just had a heart transplant. Don't go and get in a gang-banging shootout with a bunch of other niggers and wrap your car around a telephone pole because that's going to be bad. We just gave you someone else's heart to save your life, so don't go and get in. Don't go get into a shootout. And the nigger goes and he gets into a shootout. And we expected to explain this by the fact that he's not receiving um, structurally competent and culturally responsive care. Because the fact is that blacks do have significantly worse health outcomes pretty much across the board, and it's due to a number of factors. Some of them are genetic. Some of them – others are behavioral, and others are due to just, like, noncompliance, which I guess is also behavioral. So, like, blacks tend to abuse drugs more often. They're more violent, uh, and they don't comply with doctor's orders. Uh, they also have much – they have hypertension and high blood pressure uh, and cholesterol at much higher rates. But um, none of this is result of, like, because they had a doctor that wasn't, like, culturally responsive to them. It's just how it is. 
But they've invented this idea in order to sort of explain that in a way that doesn't put the burden on them for just being shittier. That's just what it is. So, yeah, I just don't buy any of this crap. And even that country doctor from back in the day when they would make house calls because that was the most efficient way to handle medical care in those communities. Is he doing this or is he like going to your house and just being like a generally nice person and also then just taking your blood pressure? I don't know. Anyway. Well, I mean, it's because he would have known you. I mean, so he well, that's just because he's and, been like your neighbor. Like he actually lives yeah. in a town of a, of a very few people. So they just know you. It's like, OK, hi. But um, the daughter of a single mother raised on public assistance. Our mother grew up to become the first person in her family to graduate from college and from Harvard Medical School in 1976. So your mother basically was a recipient of DEI, affirmative action, social promotion, whatever you want to call it, all the way back in 1976. The next line even basically reifies that. What am I doing here? She remembered asking herself on her first day. Right. And that was the right question to ask. Because what are you doing here? Well, the answer is you are you are being artificially promoted in order to freeze white people out of prestigious uh, careers. Like being a doctor and going to Harvard Medical School. In order to, to lower and limit the number of whites that have that prestigious station in society – you were chosen to take up a seat and become uh, an objectively worse doctor and probably even the worst white candidate that could have replaced you. Whoever you bumped out would have been a better doctor. Probably that person became a doctor anyway. They just went to a different school, but still. Um, yeah. The majority of her classmates were white and from affluent backgrounds. In her class alone, one student was a relative of Jackie Onassis. Several students had parents who were Harvard professors and had written the textbook they were using in class. Another student's father had won the Nobel Prize in medicine. That one was probably a Jew. Probably. Don't like all. Don't, isn't the Nobel Prize like always given to Jews? Like almost always. <laughs> it's like like the number in the in the, in the medical field. Oh, I don't know about in the medical in general. Field, g- generally speaking, it's like the Peace Prize is the one they they reserve to give to blacks because they can't achieve enough to make it in any other field, and then the rest of them just go to Jews. That's generally my uh, understanding of the Nobel Prize. <laughs> Physics, so there's a lot of Jewish recipients of uh, literature. Not, I mean, yes, there's a lot of Jewish recipients of it, but they they also give that one a lot to uh, non-whites. Yeah, well, literature so. Jews don't really write uh, fiction that much. Like, there's not many. Um, yes, they, yeah, okay, they, all right, no, you know what I'm saying. Jews write fiction all the time, but in terms of like great writers, like there's very like who's a Jew on that list? Um, Boris Pasternak. All right, we'll see. I don't even know who that is, so that doesn't count. <laughs> Dr. Zhivago? Oh, okay, right. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I know the book. I didn't know the name of the guy that wrote it. But all right. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, generally speaking, the written word, when it's not like a bunch of lies, is, is the, 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 um, the domain of the white man. Well, I, there, there's, a, there's a lot in what's called lit- what you would classify as literature. I, because this is my field. Like, there, there's a lot. Of, the Jews are heavily represented in the literature field. There's, there's a lot of them. It's oh, just, really? It's just books that nobody reads. That's the thing. Is be, if, you're, if you're not into the literature field, if you're not into this stuff, then you just don't encounter it. Right. The great books. Nobody cares about In terms stuff. of the great books that are both great literature and stuff that people read and know about, it's all white men. Yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Well, because like any, basically, nobody really knows anything after World War II, like of what would be considered. Right. That, a great yeah, because book. there's because there's nothing worth anything. Yeah. I mean, people know like they they know like pulp stuff, right? Like after World War II, the only stuff that people know about is like is like pulpy sci-fi stuff, right? Yeah. And like comic books. 
because that's all that there has been because the the culture died you know the bombs over dresden like didn't just destroy like the buildings they destroyed like an entire fucking culture they destroyed an entire way of life and history of an entire people not just germans all of us but um <clears throat> my mother's life yeah. couldn't have been more different from theirs she was a black girl from brooklyn whereas they were jews from brooklyn Well, she wanted to. They actually lived in the same neighborhood, but they wanted—they were just black and Jewish. While she wanted to believe that she deserved to be at Harvard, she wasn't always certain. Well, uh, that was yeah. That's that imposter syndrome hitting. At least you know she has that level of self-reflection. Her own claim to fame was that her mother had received <clears throat> her licensed <clears throat> practical nursing degree after raising six children, attending school full time, working full time, taking care of the family, and getting off welfare. Okay, I love like these bios and these libtard papers. This this kind of stuff, I think, almost even more than like TV shows, contributes to like the stupid idea of blacks that like some white libtards have of like always being hardworking because they're always presented like this. Yeah. Oh, the worker like six jobs with like eighteen kids and five different racisms to deal with at the same time and like on top of that like her landlord would whip her with a belt and then she'd walk down the street and all the white people would give her dirty looks and then you know it's just like shut the fuck up it's like it's like you know the black woman working five jobs and somehow even in like even in like the the most like anti-racist society where white people like actively have to pretend all the time that they how much they love blacks and would never dream in public of saying something anti-black lest like every every dream they ever had would die immediately uh yeah these blacks that are working like 10 jobs have like 56 kids like are always encountering like racism every single place and it's amazing to me and i wonder if the prevalence of these kind of lies in media affects like libtard brains such that they are more yes. reflecting obvi- i mean obviously it does but reflects it affects their brain such that when they think about things that they hear, they are more like, well, does that fit in with the phony story in my head that I believe based on this canon that's built up from reading this kind of shit over all these years? Or does that fit in with my actual real life experience? And really what people are mostly comparing things when they read them or see them against is the other things that they've read or seen not like what they've actually experienced. You know what I mean? Not, not by, by read so, or seen. I mean, like in media. I, I know. Yeah. What, I know what you mean. You know what uh, I'm saying? What I can tell. Yeah. What I can say is because that is textbook cognitive dissonance. The way that they reconcile that is like that. Because at least I guess this might. I, I can't speak to the people who actually like live in the cities, but like for suburbanites, uh, they have actually, even though they have uh, they have lived experiences with what they're actually like, they've actually been because they've put been able to put enough distance there. They've been able to abstract, even though they the the reasons were racial for why they moved, and they might like acknowledge it somewhere like deep down. They can push it down enough and abstract it away enough that they basically start lying to themselves about it and believe their own lies. I've seen this yeah, happen. I've-, I, I've seen it happen too. But my my point is, I think that. I think I feel like the process that goes on, and I'm just spitballing here, is less about like a cognitive dissonance thing, and that it's just like they're 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 looking for like they like the story that's presented for whatever reason they like it because it's familiar, or they know it, or it, it politically it, it's what they say, and then they hate these other people politically, so it all fits in together. Um, 
where like I feel like almost like reconciling with the real world it's not even a cognitive load that they're taking on and trying to and achieve and, and having some kind of dissonance that they have to overcome because uh it, it doesn't match up right I feel like it's like there isn't even cognitive dissonance because they're not even engaging at that level they're like okay I'm just I'm just like this is just bullshit like and I'm just believing it like it, this is like this is the story and I just like this story so I just go with it. Like I, I don't, I don't know because I, I can only Part tell of the you they can get away with that is because they're they don't have they have is because of, they're so disconnected from everything in a physical way. Yeah, so they yes. have their homes or their yes. apartments, right? And they put it on the TV and like if it's like MSNBC's on and all MSNBC's talking about is the Trump trial and stuff like that. And then they right. get in their car and they go to the to the strip mall or to whatever right. location they need to go to. They're just in different point uh, physical points, but there's no. Uh, right. cohesive community hold to that so they can have these stories because right. it all exists in the ether, essentially. Right. That's kind of my point, is that the, in fact, the, the, your own reality isn't that interactive with other people, like in terms of the life you live, the work and the shopping and the things like the daily mundane mundanities, like the daily tasks, aren't all that intensive in terms of their engagement with others, with the community, and that's also why I would say that, like, students, generally speaking, have more of this because they are sort of forced into, like, kids and students. Because you're still more forced into, like, community environments for, like, longer periods of time. Whereas, like, a lot of adults are like, well, I, and particularly with remote work, too, that probably made this even worse. Because now it's like you legitimately can live inside your own head for all the time. You know, like you can live inside your own head like almost all the time, at which point you don't even have to compare the story you've read in the kinds of media you like to consume with reality because you just don't have a reality. I mean, you know what I mean? You understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's simulated. That's in that, in that yeah. simulation allows people to maintain these fictions long past the point of absurdity. Right. Right. And even like the whole thing of like. And when everything is on the screen and everything is part of the simulated reality, uh, it's very much easier to to dismiss things that come through that same medium, like, oh, like Black Riots. Well, so what? It's still just coming through the same screen, and I don't like that story. I like the other one. I like this story. I like, oh, the wonderful doctor in 1976 doing, like, the total community medicine, like, the complete structural valid like structurally valid this culturally sensitive medicine where she takes your blood pressure and then examines ex- examines your entire oh. life you know it's like or with each with each squeeze yeah. of that of that rubber hose she's delving deeper into your life story you know or they do like i don't i don't know how to pronounce too coke you know like oh black riots will hop out white riots and they show yeah yeah and they can show like sports riot yeah they show like some dumb college kids like running around drunk like look at that as if it's like the same thing yeah yeah, and it's all just it's not even this is something I've been I've talked about or thought about for a while. I don't know if I've ever properly discussed it or expressed the idea. Maybe I'm sure I have before, but um that it's like no, there's no like dissonance. Like they're just like they're just picking something to they they don't. Like they they walk around blissfully unaware of like the idea of alternative ideas. Like or or aware of them but only hostile to them and they don't the 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 i the, the the there's an there's something that everyone imagines that happens in the minds of people that disagree with them on politics or 
basic reality, which is that they are in a constant struggle within themselves to reconcile what they want to believe with what they're constantly seeing in front of their eyes. And everybody says this. Liberals say it about conservatives. Conservatives say about liberals. And I know that like our enemies say it about us. And I've even had when I've interacted with uh, some like leftist journalists or like SPLC people like Mike Hayden or like Luke O'Brien or those people that they would express to me their certainty that this is what I was doing. That like they knew that they were right and I also knew that they were right. But for some underhanded reason, I chose to believe different things and I'm, I'm constantly in anguish trying to sort it out and, 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 and block out, you know, what's actually going on. Like they believed this and they would present me with this as if like, I, we, Mike, I know you're always like lying to yourself and you can, you're having an increasingly hard time. Like they were imagining that I was having like this increasingly hard time, like reconciling my belief with reality. And I was going to like break or snap at any moment, you know, like that's what they thought. And I thought they thought I'm, I'm almost positive. They thought that because they said that to me. That's why I've always been like kind of not so much a believer in the idea, which I've seen even a lot of white nationalists say that like others that that are denying our viewpoint are are like constantly dealing with the dissonance. And I just don't think that they really are. (laughs) I think that people are just walking. You know what I mean? I don't know if you. I mean, I I basically said it myself. I said cognitive dissonance, but you you make a strong you make a strong argument there. No, Uh, I'm not trying to like argue against you. I know, know, but I actually find that very persuasive that everybody says that about their opponents. Well, you hear it all the time, don't you? Like you always hear everybody say just like everyone's convinced. Like if you asked people in America, like, do you trust the media? They would all say no. Do you but trust Congress? Everybody would say no. Everybody would say no. But everybody trusts, like, the, the, they, they trust, like, you know, people that watch Fox News all the time, like, hate and distrust the media, right? Same for people who watch MSNBC all the time. And they've, been con- yep. they've convinced themselves that the rest of the media isn't like this media. Everyone is conservative about what they personally know. Yeah. So anyway. That's enough about that. We can do more. We'll do more. Well, maybe not. We'll probably just do more of that throughout the show, but this is fun. But also just this story. Again, I, all that from this this bullshit bogus claim of like the black single mom with like 25 children. We haven't children. even got to the really good part of Yeah, we haven't even got to the fun part, but this is – I'm having a good time. I'm enjoying myself. Oh, I'm having a great time, but like the, I mean <laughs> the good part in this article, we haven't yeah, even gotten yeah, to yeah, that yeah. Yet. Anyway, our mother was so proud of her mother's achievements, but they weren't a Nobel Prize in medicine. Well – at some point, she can get a Nobel Prize for being a nigger. I mean, that's basically what happens, right? When we were children, our mother insisted she hadn't experienced overt racism while at Harvard. Notably, her class is one of the most diverse in the school's history. Oh, here we go. Thanks to diversity initiatives. Begun soon after the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, a full 10% of her class was black. And they totally deserved it. They definitely deserved it. Interesting that it's like, oh, some nigger was shot, so now we have to put a bunch of niggers in Harvard. <laughs> I understand why. I, I, I understand why when people's conspiracy bells go off whenever any kind of anything happens, because so when, when it actually is when it actually is followed by actions like this, as well, you know, it's oh, dude, it I get why. Pe- I always understand why people's like. I understood why people were inventing conspiracy theories about Justin Moan. I don't agree with them, but I know why they. I get why they were doing it. Some to some extent, I sympathize a little bit, but I, I see it so often and it's so dumb that I, I it's harder and harder for me to sympathize. 
King was better to the system dead than alive. That's certainly true. Yeah. Yes. Because if he stayed alive, he just would have been another Al Sharpton. Because that's all he ever was. He was just a Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton. That's all he ever was. He wasn't anything special. He was just a a shysty nigger. Yeah. Just a fucking slick fucking nigger preacher. From the south, you could too. ask conservatives what what was uh, King up to, uh, what was his last act before he got shot, and they wouldn't be able to tell you. It was involved. It was it was um it was a trash strike in Memphis. That's what it was. That that's what he was involved in, and very few people really know that because it's the mythology of of him that matters the most. Because if he had lived, he would have just been doing stuff like that. He would have been involved in all these like smaller, smaller things, like as you said, in Al Sharpton. Yeah. And and all that equality nonsense talk, like everyone says that shit, right? But they, it, 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 the pretense of America today is that like he was the inventor of that. No, all that shit. People were saying all that kind of shit. All that like all that equality. Don't judge the character. Don't judge the skin. Judge the character. Or blah blah blah. And all these highfalutin quotes attributed to him. And always speech at his speech at like Riverside Park in Manhattan. And blah blah blah. All this crap. Like it's that was just boilerplate shit. But but in, in in the post King years, which I was born into, and I meant when I was a kid in the eighties, little kid, where they were, the cult of Martin Luther King was hot and heavy in the school system. I didn't quite know or understand like how recent it was because yeah. well, frankly, it blew, my, blew my mind when I was older when I found out when it actually became a holiday because like it always yeah. been a part of my life. It yes. blew my mind when I found out that it was like had just happened, or and that even when I was a little little kid, it was still getting argued about. To yep. some extent, like, like there were states Arizona that weren't was like doing one, it. Like Arizona was like one of the last states to adopt it, as I recall. Yeah, Chuck D wrote like a song, like attacking the state of Arizona over this, and it was just like, like they didn't adopt it for a long ass time. But um, but yeah, it's just like it, it's it's like you know I didn't understand that I was just probably one of the first generations for which like the cult of Martin Luther King was absolutely fucking everywhere. Yeah, and you know people. Uh, have I, I've often talked about how like I really didn't get that much Holocaust indoctrination as a kid, and uh, I, I almost feel like they were like it almost got crowded out by the Dr. King shit because that was like at that time at least it felt like that was the most super important and necessary thing because really in the eighties in America Jews weren't there was no pushback on Jews like there was no. There was no even idea of like a lingering or a creeping anti-Semitism. There wasn't even on the on the radar screen. Like they were just comfortably where they were, you know. Um, well, it's probably because so late seventies you had the Yom Kippur, like the aftermath of the Yom Kippur war, so it came up uh, with like the, yeah, Israel the was the most. Israel was like super secure. Um, I guess there well, was I mean, like. But- well, there was anxiety because of the Yom Kippur War and how that had gone. In late 70s, you had the, the Holocaust miniseries that came out in 1977, but then it seems to have ebbed a little bit during the 80s yeah. uh, because of Reaganism. And then the 90s is really when the Holocaust stuff really comes back. Yeah, it, Well, that's because that's when Holocaust denial started. Yeah. In, in the late 80s is when the Leuter Report. But I also could have just – it could have just been – like there wasn't any reason. It just was the – generally they just missed it at my school district like it just wasn't as big of a deal i don't know which would have been odd given the number of jews that um lived around where i grew up but uh i don't know for whatever reason the the mlk shit was absolutely beaten into my head and the holocaust significantly less so i i I don't know why but it just was well that was my experience as well but i mean that's metro detroit so it's going to be kind of kind of things that a lot of black history uh but there was some jew there there was some holocaust stuff 
what I actually most remember about hol- about Holocaust stuff was uh, let's see here. As a kid, we had a survivor come to my elementary school, hmm. and we in high school I do remember them talking about the lampshades like uh, the, even going into the uh 2000s there was still I remember hearing about that but I don't think it was ever part of any lesson I think it was it just wasn't like, part of our, yeah it was, it was like, something it that other kids were saying brought up yeah. yeah teachers I remember teachers bringing it up but yeah 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 which is funny cuz you also then realize as you get older like your teachers in school are also just a bunch of idiots <laughs> yeah like they, like the elementary school or middle school teachers are stupid there's actually dumbasses like they don't know anything either <laughs> They're just, the, they're just reading from the textbook. They're just reading from a textbook, just getting through the day, and they probably they're probably like generally speaking, like libtards. But anyway, usually. Let's keep going. Let's press forward here. Even so, there were incidents that led her to wonder whether racism was at work. During well, I mean, racism is always at work because nature be racist. Racism never sleeps. No, never. No. It's the, yeah. During one of her rotations. A professor held open a door for a white male student, then let it slam him out. See, this, I just don't believe you. Or if something like this happened, it's one of these things, it was like an accident, and like the nigger, it's like, it's like the fucking black city councilman, like Yusuf Salam, like he gets pulled over, and even though the cop is like, oh, you're a city councilman, have a good day, see you later, we're done, he still like complains about racism. <laughs> I don't know if, you, if you heard that story. Might that even, might, yeah, but he also might not even have noticed her. It's just, yeah. I mean, there's so many. Different there's so many. Wa- there's so many ways that could be explained other than like racism. That it's, it's also like, it's also like I just don't believe you. I also feel like you're just lying because it's such a thing. That's also something easy to lie about because you could never verify if that something like that ever happened, right? Another time when a male professor made a joke in bad taste about women, he apologized to a white student with an earshot, but not to my mother. Well, maybe he wasn't talking to your mother. Who was standing right next to him. Once she was told not to sleep in an empty patient room, as was customary after a night shift, because a white male resident needed the bed. Okay. I mean, whatever. <laughs> I don't care about any of this, <laughs> even if it's all true. Uh, then there was a the white patient who didn't want to be treated by a black student doctor and told my mother this and no uncertain. Well, I'm completely on, on his side. Because yeah, frankly, that one I, that if one you, I actually happened, I believe this actually happened. But if you told me, Hey, uh, listen, we're going to, we're going to bring in the student doctor to use you or a case to help them learn. And they're black. I'll be like, yeah, nah, Nope. I don't consent to that. Yep. The fact that the, uh, ability of a patient, to, con- to to refuse their consent to be treated in in by a black person and is actually under attack and in fact you can get in trouble now if you do that like there we've talked about this before but there are things where like you yourself could become subject to a complaint from black medical staff if you refuse to be treated by them as a patient you can get in trouble you can get civil rights complaints and stuff filed yeah, against which you, is, which is worrying because I, I mean, I, ha- I've, I had relatives who were very uncomfortable with the with the black do- uh, nurses and black staff that yeah. they had. And yeah, it's, you can yeah. with when it comes to like a doctor, you can kind of finesse that. Like you can, you can like, well, just 
go to a different doctor, right? Like, or you can research the doctor ahead of time before you even make an appointment and stuff. But the fact is, like, I, I can't tell you, and you know this, you from when I had my issue with my back and I was seeking out a surgeon and trying to figure out what I was going to do, my attempts to just find a good white doctor. Yeah. You know, how, I mean, I know I talked to you right. and a bunch of other people about how it was like a constant, constant worry. And I actually, frankly, I actually had like a list of like types of doctors that I was willing to see and and actually have like do surgery on me. Interestingly, I would have been willing in terms of competency to have a Jewish doctor, but I would always be worried that they would figure out who I was. And so and for, for that reason, I was like, no, I, I just want to find a, a white doctor. Maybe I would have been willing to have like well, a Korean or I something mean, like that. But yeah, you, you mentioned, you know, doctor shopping, but even that, especially for older white people, like very elderly white people. And since a lot of them tend to also be rural like that, they really don't have yeah, they don't have that option to do, right? of, yeah, yeah. To do doctor shopping. And even for me living in a, a sort of an ex urban area, it was difficult because there just aren't that many. Like if I was in New York City. I could have doctor shopped like within like a two block radius, you know, and, and found like dozens of doctors. Right. But where I live now, it's like, mm, it's still like I was having to drive uh, an hour and a half in some cases. And in the end I did have to drive like two, three hours to that was to get the hospital where actually the surgery was done, but it was still like, you know, two, three hours away. Um, which is like, you know, it was a very important procedure. So I didn't mind doing all of that. Right. But it was, you know, Still, uh, doctor shopping for me is was something I was able to do because I'm younger. Well, I'm middle aged and I have high agency to do it, and I wanted to do it, and I had very good reasons to do it. But yes, that is not something that many people have either the agency, the desire, or even the knowledge that they need to do it. Um, or they might be in an area where that's just not possible. But yeah. this is especially true in rural areas, which have been depopulated <laughs> out. Yeah. Here we, go, here we go. By the time she graduated, she was exhausted, and not just Always because exhausted. of the rigor of her schooling. Dude, can they do a thing where they don't talk about a black woman as exhausted? I don't think that's possible. I think Steve Saylor actually said something funny once. She said like. He said, like, the, because, like, the, the – I disagree with a lot of stuff that Steve Saylor says, but I agree with a lot of stuff he says, too. He said, like, be, the, because of the um, the post-war order has been – is, like, is like uh, anti-Nazi across the board. Like, everything about it is anti-Nazi. The hero that they've that, that has been chosen is, like, the diametrical – diametrically opposite of what, like, the gallant, handsome Nazi soldier is. So it went from, like, the handsome, competent – Aryan soldier to like the exhausted black woman. That's <laughs> like that's like the hero of society. <laughs> we wrote to that the, the that propaganda poster from World War Two of like of the happy like handsome German soldier reaching out his hand to you. Yeah. So the opposite of that is the is the DMV black woman. Yeah, like the fat the fat black woman with with her nails did like head in hand because she's so fucking exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> The exhausted black woman is like is like the the archetypal hero of our society. Anyway, um, we're up against the hour here. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be back with the rest of this article and some of the other things that we wanted to talk about. Uh, if you are not subscribed, go to the rightstuff.biz slash paywall. Get a subscription to hear the rest of the conversation. And uh, yeah, we will be right back 
Oh, crap. I did it again. Okay. I knocked out my other monitor again, but I'm going to stop recording oh. now. <laughs> I don't know. If I just tap my desk, I think there's a wireless. So I just like tap the desk, the monitor blinks, and then uh, the whole system goes on the fritz here. But anyway. Every, every, every time you say, oh, crap, it makes me nervous. You know, I, I think we'll be fine. But yes, yeah, so I'm going to stop it here. Uh, if you want to hear the rest of the show, uh, go to the right stuff.biz, get a paywall subscription, and we'll be back in a little bit.